Blog Talk Radio. In a country barreling towards a crucial election while facing a pandemic, a liar in chief, fake news, and murder hornets, this is the last 100 days. Well, hello, everyone. Welcome to the last 100 Days podcast. It is Tuesday, August 11, 2020. We're on day 84 and counting here. I am your host, Scott Fullerton, and with me as he is every Tuesday and Thursday in just a minute is musician and radio producer Brandon Carmody. We also have a very special guest tonight. She's the owner of Target Q LLC, a nationally recognized as both media relations and communications expert and a leader within our LGBT community. She's played a critical role in media related to nearly every issue affecting the LGBTQ populations from high visibility issues like marriage equality and the repeal of don't ask, don't tell to being the force behind creating more visibility for older LGBT people and homeless LGBT youth. Let's please welcome to the show, Miss Kathy Renna. Kathy, how you doing? I'm uh, I'm doing really well this afternoon. Got some news, so feeling pretty good about these last. What'd you say, 84 days? <laughs> yeah, I had about uh, two pages worth of notes at 3:30, and then about four o'clock, I tore all mine up. Brandon, how about you? <laughs> yeah, there was uh, a man. Good afternoon. We were prepared, but there was a bit of a scramble at the end of the day. <laughs> good afternoon, Brandon, Kathy. How you doing? Good afternoon, Scott. Uh, oh, it's a uh, it's a big news day. I uh, I'm now on my second cup of coffee because I just need to get amped up to get through this. Kathy's right. Yeah. It's a big day. Why don't we let Kathy uh, make the announcement to our listeners? Yeah, Kathy, we're going to let you kick it off here. What's the big news of the day? Sure. Well, uh, late this afternoon, a very historic announcement was made by our presidential candidate for the Democratic Party, Joe Biden, that he has chosen Senator Kamala Harris to join the ticket as uh, VP. Um, It's, I mean, it's huge news. It's historic news. It's hopefully, I think, news that will energize people to get more engaged and vote um, as we approach, you know, what what I, I feel like we keep, we keep saying this over and over, but, you know, what I know is the most important election of my lifetime. No, exactly. That's exactly right. It's going to be the biggest um, change that we need to have happen in the world right now, and it really does need to happen. What does it mean to you? To I mean, we had a woman at the top of the ticket, so that's not as historic having women the second ticket. But there's so many other firsts in there. Talk about all that. Sure. I mean, I think you know, making history as the first African American woman, actually biracial woman of color to be uh, chosen as a running mate and be, you know, right up there in the ticket for um, for vice president, it means a lot. I mean, I've been watching the news, obviously, since it broke. And, you know, what I'm seeing are people who have worked so hard as pioneers even before her to open the doors for Kamala Harris, um, like Maxine Waters. And to, to just, you know, really understand how important this is you know, not just to to those of us who know her as an LGBT champion, as a champion for civil rights, but, you know, I think about all the girls out there 
um, the same way I did when Hillary Clinton was running for president, when Elizabeth Warren was running for president and, and Kamala Harris was running for president, that they see the possibility, you know, that they see themselves. And, you know, visibility is and always will be, you know, one of the most important things we do to, to move uh, the culture forward. And so to have um, a woman of color as a VP candidate is, it, it's really, um, you can't underestimate the importance of that on, on every level. Exactly. Brandon, what are your first thoughts coming out of all this? Um, I concur, and I'm so I'm I'm kind of at the board, kind of like when they have those guys at the board on the cable shows. So here's a couple things from the boards. Here is a tweet from former President Barack Obama. Again, Kathy will hopefully agree with me on this one. The greatest president of my lifetime. Yep. <laughs> um, Barack Obama. I've known Senator Kamala Harris for a long time. She is more than prepared for the job. She has spent her career defending our Constitution and fighting for folks who need a fair shake. This is a good day for our country. Now let's go win this thing. Let's flip over to Joe Biden's Twitter. Let's see what the VP said in his announcement. Um, I have the great honor to announce that I picked Kamala Harris, a fearless fighter for the little guy and one of the country's finest public servants as my running mate. And now let's go to Kamala Harris's Twitter. You can tell this was all timed out together. Joe Biden can unify the American people because he spent his life fighting for us. And as president, he'll build an America that lives up to our ideals. I'm honored to join him as our party's nominee for vice president and do what it takes to make him our commander in chief. Now, Kathy, here comes the twist. We know that our opposition is probably already lining up videos and attack ads it is most likely sure. going to show that split-screen image of Kamala Harris counterpunching VP Biden at uh, one of the primary debates. But uh, that that alone doesn't necessarily take the sales out of the historicness. But you know they're going to run that clip 24/7. Would you agree? Well, you know, and they're already talking about it. And and the truth is, what it shows is that she's willing to stand up to people, um, and she's willing to say what she really feels in her heart. I mean, I think what Joe Biden said in his tweet about her being a person who has devoted her life to public service is the key. I mean, the other piece of this is what Obama said, and I totally agree with you about Obama being the best president ever. Um, You know, he he knows that Joe Biden will not run again if he wins. Uh, He's not going to go for a second term. We need someone who is ready to step into that role, whether it happens, you know, before a second term would begin or uh, into a second term. And she is imminently prepared for that. I mean, I, I, you know, we can look at this just from an LGBTQ community perspective, but the big picture here is that he's chosen someone who, you know, could be president tomorrow. And, you know, this is this has got to scare Trump and everybody in the White House. I can't wait to see her debate, Mike Pence. I think that's going to be. I'm making popcorn. <laughs> I am ready. <laughs> you know, yeah, I don't it's care. Be... I don't care how they do it. It's going to be a pretty interesting thing to see. I, my money's on. Right. My money's on her. It's going to be an amazing debate. Just to kind of piggyback on what Brandon said is uh, they didn't waste any time, Brandon. I don't know if you saw it, uh, but 20 minutes after the announcement was made, they ran their first attack ad. And the attack ad is using – well, I'm sure they had one plan for every possible scenario. That's the one thing that Trump's campaign does do well, especially that Brad Perscall guy. He has uh, a lot of stuff ready for the Internet. So 20 minutes after the announcement was made to almost the second, they did their first video advertising against their, and they're calling uh, Sleepy Joe and Phony Kamala. 
and they're uh, calling her phony because they're using the clip not actually of her attacking Biden, but they're using the attack. Uh, they're attacking her on flip-flopping on Medicare for All, where she originally said yeah. she wanted it for everybody, then she decided she didn't want it for everybody. So that's their first attack at out of the gate, 20 minutes exactly after she was announced. So we knew it was going to happen, and it's happened already. So there was really not much wait or lag time in between. Is there well, any disappointment you know. between either of you? You both sound very satisfied with this choice. Just please comment on that. Like, as far as the, the contenders, the women that we know that had been narrowed down to, are you satisfied with this choice? Well, I, I mean, I think I could I probably speak for a lot of people. I mean, it was probably a very difficult decision. There were a, a lot of very qualified women uh, in the field. Um, I, you know, from the beginning was a huge Elizabeth Warren fan and continue to be, but I'm also a practical person and there's you know we need to do everything we can to get Trump out of office um, and there will be a place I'm sure for Elizabeth Warren uh, in a Biden administration as all of the other you know, other potential choices for VP but you know I think you know it's really important especially at this time as this country is really going through finally a, a reckoning of sorts around racial justice that he choose a candidate uh, and, a, and a partner um, and a running mate who is uh, a person of color. I mean, it just absolutely, to me, was something that was vital. You know, it really, it, it yeah. needs to, it, with this country really needs to uh, make a statement, especially after, you know, eight amazing years with President Obama to see what this country has turned into is just horrifying, shameful, sad. I mean, there's just too many adjectives out there that we could use. And so I, I think it's very important that, you know, the party gets unified that we all get unified. We may not agree with Joe Biden or Kamala Harris on every little thing, but what we need to do is get Trump out of office. And this is a strong, uh, competent, really, really smart, talented ticket that I think will energize people to do that. No, well said. I agree 100%, Kathy. And also, I mean, everyone's going to have some negatives, as you said. No matter who we pick, there's going to be negatives. One of the things that I like and they talked about a little bit in the shows today, is it not only elevates Kamala Harris, but I think just his vetting of all these women has elevated all of these strong women in the Democratic Party. So you know a lot more about all of them now. And I think we're showing what kind of roster we have for the future of the Democratic Party and in women in particular. So I think that's been very impressive, just the vetting of these candidates have brought a lot of people forward uh, to national uh, recognition, which is, I think, going to help us in the long run. Um, and I think uh, Kamala is, is a great choice. Now, I, this wasn't, to their credit, this was not decided this morning. And the reason I say that is because she comes into this already having a team behind her. She has chosen, yep. she announced today already that uh, Kareem uh, Jean-Pierre, who I love, she's a great MSNBC contributor. She was also yep. the uh, chief public affairs office for Move On. Um, she mm-hmm. was on Joe Biden's campaign. She is going to be her chief of staff. So we're going to have Kareem as chief of staff. They already picked another uh, White House, Obama White House, Sheila Nix, is going to be her senior advisor. Um Nick was Jill Biden's chief of staff in the White House back when he was vice president. 
They also picked Liz Allen, a longtime Obama and Biden aide, who's going to be the communications director. I mean, they have a team in place, snap, 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 ready to go, which I'm very impressed by. Brandon, what do you got? No, I agree. I agree. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead, Kathy. Oh, and I was going to say all of these under, other potential candidates have been vetted. You know, we're going to need a new cabinet. So, you know, there's, there's, room, there's room for, for all of the incredibly qualified people that I think were bringing different perspectives in some ways, but bringing lots of good ideas and energy. And, and at the end of the day, a care about the people of this country and uh, some people who care about democracy. I mean, that's really – I'm not as one for overstatement, but that is really what's on the line here, this election. You know, we're really talking right. about um, reclaiming our democracy. We, what we've seen happen in the last, you know, nearly now four years in this country is absolutely appalling, and that's only what we know, you know. And, again, I don't overstate, and I'm not a paranoid person, but, you know, all you have to do is pay attention and you see what's been happening. Um, and now sure. it's the world. The world is watching us. And, you know, we owe it not just to ourselves, but to the rest of the world to, to put this country back on the map as a, not just as a democracy, but a capital D, um, and also as a beacon of light. Um, and we, we have not been that for some time now. Very well said. Brandon, what was your next point? Oh, I do. I do have something for for Kathy and for you, Scott. Um, but, but I just want to say really quick because we end up acknowledging this at least once every time Kathy and I've had an interview over the last three years during this administration. It's always a somber, dark day. There has never been a time where I bring in <laughs> Kathy Renna where we sit down and we say today is a great day. So, thank you, Kathy, for being a trooper and being the the you know voice on the radio that gets called in during these times. Um, I just want to quote, so people are flying to get articles out on digital shelves. Here is from Politico, five things to know about Kamala Harris. I just want to hit you guys with about three of these. Um, Hang on here. She was close with Biden's late son. So she was close with Bo Biden. They were AGs together. So let's keep that in mind. There's the existing relationship with the Biden family. Um, also very important that Harris is the daughter of immigrants. Her mother was the daughter of an Indian diplomat and worked as a cancer researcher. And her father, Donald, was born in Jamaica. So right there, there is there is historic uh, uh, moment being crossed there. And also she's made a name for herself with relentless cross-examinations of Trump officials, you know, on her position on the Judiciary Committee. So just speaking back to some of these facts about Kamala Harris and her history up to this point and how it relates to the Black Lives Matter and making sure that we're not tone deaf as a party that we're listening to that. Kathy, what do you think about Kamala Harris as a choice that relates to the Black Lives Matter and this moment? Well, I think that it's going to be really an important part of the conversation, but you know, for me, the most the, the most um, important part here is that these are folks, these are grown-ups. They're willing to have these conversations. They're willing to call each other out on things. They can disagree, um, and they can discuss. You know, and I and I think we're all in on a journey here where we are having our eyes opened more widely to a lot of these issues. I mean, you know, she spent years in California as a prosecutor, as attorney general, um, and then as as senator. I mean. She knows how these institutions work, and she knows how they don't work. And I think that bringing that kind of judgment and experience and character to this is what's going to help us move the country forward. You know, it's kind of like the discussion that we're having around, you know, defund the police. Like a lot of 
people don't really even understand what that means, you know, and, and those who would love to, you know, keep us divided will say, you know, completely get rid of the police, you know, and, and there will be anarchy and violence. And those are the Trump ads, right? These are grownups. These are people who are able to have these conversations to uh, reach across, uh, you know, bridge uh, with folks that they may not agree with completely and are willing to listen more importantly than anything else. And at the end of the day, the goal is the same. The goal is justice. The goal is equality. I mean, you know, when we, when we talk about her experience in the LGBTQ community, I mean, it goes without saying that she's been an ally for years um, and decades. But what's interesting is, is if you look at some of the details of some of the things that she's done, I mean, I, you know, I'm currently working with the National LGBTQ Task Force, which um, is why we were, we were scrambling this afternoon as we got out the statement uh, about her, um, about the choice of uh, Kamala Harris as a VP candidate. Um, one of the first things one of the staff said to me was that, you know, when she's a U.S. senator, she worked with the policy team at the LGBTQ task force to introduce uh, the Census Equality Act so that it would include questions that would collect data around LGBTQ people and families. And there is now just the one question, but, you know, she was there fighting, you know, at a level at which, you know, some people, you know, they may remember all the work she did around marriage and fighting for marriage equality and opposing Prop 8, um, things like that. But it, she's there for our community in a very nuanced, substantive way, and I think she'll bring that to everything that she does. I think that's the, the important thing to take away from this. Look at what we're dealing with now, right? And understand that we need to spend a lot of time with a new administration going, trying to regain the ground that we've lost in the last nearly four years. And there's a lot of ground to recover. And there's a lot of damage that has been done that needs to be repaired. But also that we have two people who will, will, will run an administration that would also look forward. You know, that will, be, that will look at the next census, you know, in 2030 and say, there are no questions um, around gender identity um, or sexual orientation for individuals, only for married same-sex couples. How do we better serve the full breadth of the LGBTQ community? We'll have people who are thinking like that. And that to me is, you know, that's the reason why the half of our community that did not vote last election needs to get them off their butts and vote this election, get registered and vote. Exactly. And the big thing for me, I mean, I think the good thing and the bad thing about the Obama and the Trump administration is because of the split parties, um, everything Obama had to do, he had to do with executive action, with executive order. And Trump was able to reverse all of those with a stroke of a pen. But conversely, everything he's done in the three years has mostly been executive order as well. So a lot of these things, policies that have gone through can be reversed close to immediately when they go in. And I think this is on top of their mind uh, as you talk about equality. Equality is one of the things that are on the forefront here. So anything that has to do with equality as far as LGBTQ, as far as Black Lives Matter, as far as all those goes, they can be undone with a stroke of the pen in most situations. And we can only hope that we also get the Senate back as well so we can now codify these things so they can't be reversed for a triple reverse axle type thing down the road, right? Well, I think the choice of uh, Kamala is going to help down ballot too. Sorry, go ahead, Brandon. No, definitely. 
Brandon. Oh, sorry, I was on mute. I just want to ask Kathy, while we have you here, so addressing LGBTQ issues as a broader whole, and it's okay to get a little bit political here. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Kathy, off the top of your head, in a nutshell, what's at stake for our people in this election? How big are the stakes for us as a community in your assessment? I think you can understate um, how much damage has already been done, and if empowered for a second term, how much more damage could be done. I mean, the, the erasure of trans people, the harm caused to LGBTQ people by this administration. I mean, we recently saw sort of a glimmer of hope and light uh, with a positive decision from the Supreme Court around Title VII, but we also understand full well that this is a administration that wants to just continue dividing people and of course in the midst of a global pandemic i mean we can't you know we can't forget that our community is totally impacted by not just the the covid pandemic but the challenges with the economy i mean these folks whoever gets whoever gets handed the white house in the next election is going to have a huge job to do a lot of healing needs to happen a lot of repair of damage that needs to happen and just basically a rebuilding of so much that has been lost in not just the last three and a half years, but the last three and a half months in terms of the lack of response to COVID. And and who knows what's going to happen between now and November and even now in January. So, you know, you have to look around you and make a decision. Who do you want in the White House? Uh, when we start, you know, 20, 2021, um, and we start off a year after a year that has been, you know, they always joke and say best day ever. This has been like the worst year ever in so many different ways. You know, we can't be siloed by just being part of the LGBTQ community. This is also about the fact that, you know, so many of us hold multiple identities. You know, for me, this is about being a parent. You know, I'm worried for my well, near 15-year-old daughter. Like, what kind of world is she going to, you know, grow up and graduate from college in? Um, whether right. that's healthcare, whether that's the economy, whether that's the climate, you know, she knows and cares so much about these issues in a way that I didn't when I was 14. So that gives me hope. But, you know, those of us who are of voting age now need to not only take that responsibility, they need to understand that it's uh, really a moral obligation at this point. No, very well said. I agree 100%, Kathy. It's just, I mean, everyone says this is the most important election of my lifetime. It's been said many times in my almost 50 years here on the planet, um, but this really is. I think we, we can't stress it enough that we have had a serious deterioration in our rights across the board uh, and in our international relations, and just the decency that is the American way of life and the American leadership. There was always a decency there. I mean, partisanship has grown stronger for the last, since probably Bush the second. So there there was on both sides, we've kind of let the partisan divide go more, but these last three and a half years are more than I have ever expected it to go to where just the decency factor has gone down so far. Right. And that's and you're just talking about you know the the Senate and the Congress. When I when I talk, I'm talking about you know regular folk out in the world. One of the things that I've been saying uh, really since um, Trump was elected is that 
through his campaign and the second he was elected and for the last near four years, he has created a permissible climate of hate in this country. He's made it okay to yeah. hate people. And, and the result of that is the increases in violence, the increases in discrimination. You know, all of the things that we're seeing are because he made it okay. He not only made it okay, he encouraged sexism, racism, transphobia, homophobia, division, anti-immigrant um, uh, uh, sentiment, like just absolutely, you know, to, to me, absolutely horrifying that we would allow this to happen in this country. I mean, it's almost surreal, but we lived it. We've lived through the last three and a half years, but I don't, you know, I worry if we have to deal with another four. Um, you know, I, I, we see this disintegration and the corruption and, you know, again, the deterioration, like you said, of like basic decency and cultural norms uh, it's unimaginable. And if I know anything about uh, Joe Biden and Kamala Harris, I think there is, at the end of the day, a sense of decency, um, care, and understanding uh, that people should be able to live freely, safely, um, and with respect. And if we don't get that back in the White House and have that trickle down, uh, it's, you know, it's going to be a, a very unpleasant uh, next four years for us. So. You know, again, that's why I love that I'm working with the task force. Um, you know, we've been working on the Queer the Census campaign and Queer the Vote. Those are the two really most important things that we could be doing uh, as a community to be engaged, you know, through the rest of this year. Um, and so I would totally encourage, you know, anybody who's within the sound of my voice <laughs> to make sure that they are registered to vote and that they encourage everyone around them to do so. Um, you know, it's really shameful that there are far too many people in not just the LGBT community, but which is true, but just in the general public that don't vote. And I think we're going to see a real, like, I will crawl through broken glass to vote kind of thing. When, like, when Obama was elected the first time, I was living in Washington, D.C., and, you know, he won, like, 98% of the vote. But people insisted that symbolically, I am going to wait online for to vote for this man. And I think we're going to see right. a similar kind of enthusiasm. Well, I can only hope so, and I know you can't stay too much longer, but let them know where they can find some of these organizations or some places they should be reaching out to. What's a couple good web addresses you can give to the listeners? Oh, sure, absolutely. I mean, you can go directly to queerthecensus.org. Um, you could go to thetaskforce.org, which has a ton of information around both the census and our Get Out the Vote. Um, there are so many organizations doing good work. Uh, I just saw today uh, a, a new organization called Proud Vote. Um, so many people, HRC, uh, PFLAG, all of our organizations, both national and local, are so uber-focused on the, the issue of getting people registered um, and encouraging them to, to educate themselves and then getting them out there to actually vote. Fantastic. Kathy, thanks so much for taking the time. I know we kind of got you last second day when all this was breaking. Brandon, do you have any final uh, questions for Kathy? Um, just our usual wrap-up. Uh, Kathy, once again, thank you, and I appreciate you, and sobering as always. <laughs> no, I, I appreciate you, and, uh, you know, news breaks, we get right on it. That's what we do, right? So at least today, like you there said, you it was it felt like good news. <laughs> thank thank it was you a for good fighting news the fight day. for what you do. Thank you for what you Absolutely. do, Kathy. Thank you so much. You too. We appreciate you. Have a great afternoon. Keep the good fight Thanks. going. Take care. Okay. Take care.
Bye-bye. All right, we got a couple of callers on the line, Brandon. Let's go ahead and bring Veronica in. Veronica's driving on her way home. How you doing today? I'm well. How are you? It's a good day here in Northeast Ohio. How about down your neck of the woods? You feeling good? Well, I'm good. It's Nashville, and um, it's doing all right. And um, just driving home on a twilight evening, just headed off my exit here in a few minutes, and I was excited to see the running mate uh, news pop up on my Twitter feed earlier this afternoon, and uh, just excited to share something new finally. There you go. What are you uh, most excited about about having a uh, this vice presidential pick? I'm excited that in four years when she runs for president, she's going to pick Mayor Pete to be her vice president. <laughs> That's what I'm excited about. <laughs> I love that. Very, very cool. Brandon, do you have anything to say with our guests or any uh, point you want to bring up? Um, welcome to the show, Veronica. You sound very familiar. <laughs> what do you think What do you think you would see if you had to make a prediction of what we might see on the debate stage now imminent uh, of Mr. Mike Pence versus Kamala Harris? What do you think the, that split-screen moment might look like on television, and do you think she'll be a formidable force for him? Well, you know, there's only one vice presidential debate, as far as I know, and there will only be one. So, um, and I don't know what network is hosting the vice presidential debate. So the moderators are going to have a lot to do with what faces we're going to see, right? So I'm excited to see what that's going to look like. But uh, Kamala Harris is a career debater. I mean, she was a prosecutor, and she, um, I mean, is, is built for um you know, presenting an argument and and hopefully winning that argument, you know. So I think that when she is presented with Mike Pence on the other podium, um, who is a career politician versus a career prosecutor, I think it's going to be really interesting to see what shape his puddle takes when she tears him a new one. (laughs) I love that. Yeah, so the vice presidential debate are going to be October 7th out of Salt Lake City, Utah, at the University of Utah, and the nation.com has already put up their headline, Kamala Harris will shred Mike Pence in the vice presidential debate. So it's already game on. So it's going to be kind of fun. It'll be very exciting. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to what that will look like. I always wanted to say, like, what that conversation is going to look like, but I don't know what kind of a conversation it's going to be. But she, (laughs) um, she is a force. Um, whereas Mike Pence is not, um, he has no wins behind him. Even as governor, he has very few wins behind him. Um, he was in charge of the pandemic task force um, in this administration, and we all know how that's going and how it went. Um, and also the pandemic that he had in regards to health crises in his home state as well. Um, and Kamala Harris has behind her lots of winning streaks in regards to criminal justice and um, successful legislative moments in the Senate as well. So it's going to be really interesting if they want to go for points um, where where Kamala is going to fall and where Mike Pence has uh, fallen back. Right. What I'm going to find very interesting is to see how Mike Pence does against a woman. 
I mean, he's not really, he calls his wife mother and he's been known for saying he doesn't even like to be alone in a room with a woman. He's very, with those Christian uptight values, I don't think he values women to begin with. And I don't know if he's going to be able to take her on stage at all and how he's going to approach it. It's going to be very interesting to see how he approaches the entire debate because he is just a, a strange bird to begin with. Well, you know, in in reality, neither Trump nor Pence have to debate anybody. It's not a law, and it's not a regulation in regards to party. Um, he could cite religious freedom and say, I don't have to debate a woman. He absolutely 100% could do that, and there's nothing anybody could do about it. Just like Pence, just like Trump didn't show up to one of his primary debates uh, last cycle, he doesn't have to debate um, uh, Biden if he doesn't want to. Right, true. That, they didn't have the presidential debates until the Kennedy election. It's not, it's not part of the right. fabric of our elections. It's just been uh, something that we've come accustomed to. Well, it's going to be interesting because I think Trump wants the debate. Trump thinks that Biden – he – I don't know if he believes it or is just hoping that Biden is actually diminished, and he thinks that he can take Biden in a debate. I don't know what's going to happen to their calculus if he debates Biden and ends up losing that first debate. Um, he can't afford to do that at all. He, he tried to get a fourth debate on there. He wants he wants to debate Biden bad. Pence is another story. He may want to back out. But I think uh, that Trump really, really, really wants to debate Biden because he thinks he can win this debate. But if he doesn't, Trump, it's just huge for him to lose. Right. But Trump also wants the debates to start when early voting starts. He wants the debates to start earlier. So he wants to start right. that first debate sooner than later. Um, and I feel like in his debate rehearsal, Chris Christie supposedly is stepping in to play Biden in in Trump's oh, debate God. rehearsal. But we all, I don't think that's a bad choose. I think that the GOP is, is choosing pretty well getting Chris Christie in there to play, uh, to play Biden. I think that's a good idea. Um, I'm curious right. to see who now the GOP will place in regards to get – somebody to debate um, Mr. Pence uh, and standing in for Kamala, um, maybe uh, maybe Ms. Fiorella, you know, who was the GOP presidential uh, candidate at last cycle or some other woman to stand in for Kamala. I would hope to say choose a woman to prep Pence for his debate experience, but it's going to be really interesting to see how Trump handles that first debate because uh, he's not he's not a good debater on point with somebody is opposing him. He was bad enough when it was other Republicans debating him, but when you have somebody that's on the complete opposite side of the aisle, he just folds his folder up and walks out the door. When you look at all these female reporters that corner him at the White House press briefing, he won't be able to do that, um, especially on a liberal network like MSNBC that's going to host one of the debates. He's not going to be able to just shoo away an answer that he doesn't want to that he doesn't want to do. Um, and, and it's going to be a different experience debating Hillary Clinton to Joe Biden. No, very true, very true. Brandon, you want to get another point in here? Um, question for our guest, Veronica. Uh, we've been kicking it around for these – you know, we've been on the air, what, about a week or so, Scott? So we've been uh, – Wondering what the October surprise might be, and I realize this is only August the 11th, but um, there may be more than one October surprise. But uh, if you had to guess right now, would it be a vaccine, or what do you think the October surprise might be from either camp, from either side? 
I think it's going to be on um I think it's gonna be on the Democrat side. I think they this if they do a surprise, it may be something like where they may announce some really eye opening people in regards to a transition team, possibly, or he may announce potential cabinet members way early in advance to kind of diversify that that, that bringing out the vote, he was very. A lot of Democrats were really for Susan Rice, and she's got uh, quite an extensive background about reaching across the aisle. And a lot. John Kasich is speaking at the DNC. Um, he's a very well liked Republican. Um, we call moderate Republican. He calls himself a conservative. But I met Governor Kasich a couple of years ago, and he's very intelligent, very tall, also. But um, I would love if. I mean, if. If it was to be a mix-up where he's just pulling the rug out from the GOP and saying, hey, we've got some of your best keynote players playing on our team as pitch hitters, pinch hitters. Um, and in regards to the GOP and an October surprise, a vaccine, I don't know if Dr. Fauci would even let that happen um, in regards to making it some sort of a political pundit. But I can see something like him pulling out some sort of executive action on veterans or – um, something for, like, unemployment benefits or raising the minimum wage. Hey, we got this done. The Democrats were never able to do it. Look what I just did. You have a $10 national minimum wage now. Like, I could see something like that happening on the GOP side for October. Right. Very possible. Yeah, that's, I, I keep thinking it's going to be the Russiagate thing. I think Barr is going to bring something out. We'll see what happens. <clears throat> I would love to see that. And I'm glad you brought up the case of things. I, that was on my radar I wanted to talk about. I think it's very interesting he's speaking on the Democratic debate. He is uh, governor, former governor of my state here in Ohio. And as you said, very tall, but a very actually decent guy. Um, he did some yeah, things I, I didn't like nice here in Ohio. With him. He, he's a great guy. I, I, he did some things I didn't like, um, Republican-ic. But uh, overall, he's a good guy. Same thing with DeWine. DeWine I've been happy with as well. I can't say that I've actually hated the last two Republican governors here. I wish they would have been Democrats. But uh, you're right. I think that it's going to be interesting to see Kasich on that debate stage. Um, Someone said that a very interesting pick would to put Mitt Romney as his chief of staff or his secretary of state because Romney is very good in uh, different countries and everything, knowing, knowing a lot of international protocols. And I think that could be a very interesting pick that I'd like to hear early as well. He's got a couple of Republican well, people I don't, he can choose. Well, I don't know a whole lot of Democrats or Republicans that just love Mitt Romney. I don't know who he's picking up by doing something like that. Well, I think, he, I think just going across the aisle is going to be an interesting thing. I don't know. That's just a personal opinion. You're right. I, I mean, think, a lot of Republicans have turned on him, but it's because of Trump. I don't know why Trump's Mitt Romney didn't primary Trump. Yeah, he I don't know have. why he didn't primary Trump. He should have. Agreed. Hell, Kasich could have, too. Well, I think Kasich, Kasich kind of saw the cards. It would be very tough for anybody to do it, but I would have liked to see him do it just to do it. But you're right, 100%. Yeah, Brandon, do you have another topic you want to go on or anything else? Uh, well, I just want to make sure that we get it into this show. We've talked a lot about Kamala Harris, but um, 
Russian President Vladimir Putin says that they have approved the world's first COVID-19 vaccine, but the questions over its safety remain. So we actually have uh, a major world leader, someone that we have a lot of questionable ties between our leader and theirs coming out with the vaccine. What do you guys think about Putin's announcement today? I, I think it's a little early for a vaccine, but he says they have one. Go ahead, Veronica. Well, I mean, he could say he has one all he wants, and we'll never see any sort of data that suggests an actual vaccine or if it works or if it's a placebo and he's just going to show folks, you know, whatever data he wants people to see. You know, there, there's no there's no real way to, to validate anything like that. It's just it's just it's just noise. Well, in just the naming of the vaccine, he's naming the vaccine Sputnik for their winning the space war. It's such propaganda and marketing that you they really can. can't put that much faith into it whatsoever, right? Yeah. Yeah, for real. What are your thoughts, Brandon? Um, I think that there is so much more to the Russia gate that so here's Okay, just hitting you guys with 2016 really quick. What would it have been like if all of the things that we found out about the Trump administration's relationship with Russia and what Russia did to intervene in the election, what if we knew that or what if those stories were breaking prior to the election? And, I mean, that was part of what made me so mad was how much we learned and how much we found out after the decision was made and after Trump was installed in office for a first term. So what's making – what's frustrating me right now is the information flow is choked off. Remember how six months ago there were daily leaks coming out of the White House? We're not seeing as many leaks right now. And uh, seeing as how the Mueller report is now behind us in the rearview mirror – the impeachment where the Republicans did nothing to convict this criminal president is now in the rearview mirror behind us. So what I want to know is what compromise Putin and the Russians have on our president and what we will learn after election day. And God forbid if they pick him for a second term and it really comes out how dirty he is. Right. Well, I, I agree a hundred percent. I think that, uh, I, I don't know what the difference would have made, though. I mean, it, it's a different type of situation because it's with our uh, Cold War enemies, the Russians. But, I mean, how bad was the Billy Bud tape or just a couple of weeks before? And that did nothing. So people were kind of uh, willing to take this guy no matter what. I think it was – I think Hillary had such high negatives because of propaganda and marketing that I don't know if this actually would have mattered back before the election. I would have liked to know it, of course. But would have it made well, a difference? I just want you to rem- remember, Go Hillary got more than 3 million more votes than he did. It's not about negatives and positives and votes and all that stuff. It's all about five swing states. Right. And about how no. those issues like Russia Gate or PP Gate or... or Whatever it is, it's all the, the voters on how the voters react to those issues in those five states. Right. And the map could be opening up a little bit. It could be more states that are flipping either way this year. It could be very interesting to see. But you're right. And right now, Biden has a lead in all of the swing states, not by a lot in some, but um, enough 
that it's going to be interesting to see how they how they come out in the end. Uh, I think that's one of the reasons um, we talked about Trump's nomination acceptance for the party, whether it's going to be at the White House at first. Well, this week he comes out with it's going to be the White House or Gettysburg. What kind of significance is Gettysburg? Well, Gettysburg is in Pennsylvania, which is a huge swing state that he needs. Gettysburg also is Gettysburg addressed Lincoln, and he loves to tout Lincoln uh, for the uh, a Republican president that he loves to emulate himself besides. So, I mean, these things are still in play. They're, they're not silly. They're, they know what states they need to win. So it's going to be very interesting how things go from here. That's why I was very disappointed that Biden didn't go to Wisconsin no matter what to give his speech and stay in Delaware. I think that Wisconsin needs to have that personal attention. But we'll see how it plays out. Yeah. And how well Kamala Harris has an impact on his um, on his polling. Yeah, I mean the the initial polling out today was very interesting where she had 32% positive, 34% negative, 18% no opinion either way, 20 something percent people didn't know her. So there's still a lot of room for play in there. So we'll see how she plays out. I think she's going to be an excellent attack dog. That's usually the role of the vice president, to be an attack dog for the president. Um, And I think she can play that part well. Like I said, she's a great debater. We've seen her in the Senate against Will Barr. We've seen her really be able to defend her position um, very, very well. So we'll see what happens. Remember that she was also a fierce debate contender against a contender against Joe Biden, and she really pinned him against the wall on multiple occasions. So, of course, the GOP is going to use that in their attack ads against the ticket, where they don't even have harmony against the ticket, and the, and, and Joe Biden and Kamala are going to have to do lots of uh, kumbayaing on TV to talk about how there is harmony in the Democratic Party. The other thing that she brings along with her in regards to her record is that she is part of a broken criminal justice system. She signifies what the establishment of criminal justice looks like, especially against people of color. Even though she is a person of color, she is responsible for some legislation and also for some persecution and prosecution of a lot of um, people of color. So she's got she's got significant ties to a big segment of what the Black Lives Matter and the other movements are trying to change. Is she part of the solution or is she part of the problem? Right. I think that's what they'll use to try to tie them together the most is his crime bill and her record as Attorney General of California. I don't think they really have legs on the what she did for the debate and uh, how they weren't. I think it's shows more unity that he was able to pick someone that was so opposed to his ideas that they were able to pull together. I think that was him and Obama's strength because him and Obama ran against each other and had some tough things to say back when they first ran in 2008. They became a huge powerhouse. So I don't think that attack is going to work for them to try to put them against each other because they overcame that, and that's more of a positive thing than a negative thing. But I think you're 100% right on some of her record as California Attorney General and Joe Biden's crime bill. I think they're going to try to paint him with that quite a bit. Yeah. Yeah. 
Brandon, any I'm other curious. topics you want to go on? Let's go ahead. Go ahead, Veronica. Oh, no, I was just saying I'm curious to know. Right. Brandon, you want to chime in on that or any other topic? Um, I just wanted to second the motion, what you were saying about the crucial battleground state of Wisconsin. Uh, this is just out from CNN. New polls suggest a slim Biden lead in the crucial battleground of Wisconsin. So we're talking about a razor thin lead for him in Wisconsin. So you're absolutely right. A trip there, a big Zoom call there, something would improve those numbers. Um, Another thing going out there today is that the president came out with his counterpunching, of course, on Kamala Harris. But um, I just wanted to get both of your feedback. He's doing these disastrous daily briefings. Have you noticed this on coronavirus where the task force is absent and the media is continuing to press the White House and officials and try to understand why the task force isn't there, why they don't have the opportunity to speak directly with the, you know, with the coronavirus task force and with the scientists? And why it's just the president out there basically trying to sell his Trump stakes. Have you guys, uh, what do you think about the fact that they've resumed these daily briefings, but it's the president solo? Is this just all spin? The scientists are too busy um, getting sick for World War II. <laughs> there you go, exactly. <laughs> no, I mean, that's all they are. They're just campaign speeches wrapped in a uh, a briefing. The briefing spends maybe. 10 to 15 minutes of COVID time talking about how great they're doing with no breakthroughs on anything and then turns into the other two thirds and three quarters of it being campaign propaganda. That's all it is to get him in front of the people again, because he can't do his rallies. His rallies have been a disaster. So now they're doing it virtually through the television and couching it in a COVID uh, press conference. And it's not, and it's not. It's a very small part of it. So, yeah, it's it's just a, a ploy. I think everyone sees through that. Yeah. Do you think that Trump will do other media news outlets um, interviews for late night before the election? That's not Fox News. I don't see it oh, happening. Boy. I mean, he no after acting no. especially right. <laughs> I mean, he can come on my show anytime he wants. So go. I tried to watch the entire one hour of his Fox News Sunday interview with Chris Wallace from two weeks ago, and let me get, let me give you two takeaways. A, Chris Wallace was not a Trump sycophant. Chris Wallace came ready with the facts and with graphs, and within three minutes. Trump cut off Chris Wallace, which is unprecedented. I hate to keep using that, but for the president of the United States to cut off Chris freaking Wallace from Fox News and say, wait, I got my own charts and graphs. Like, no, dude, you still have like 50 minutes of airtime left. You're not going to be able to get out. But then Scott, as you pointed out to me, then he went and did that disastrous interview with Jonathan Swan for HBO and for Actio. So we've had two major blunderous Trump interviews. So no, he, the less camera time, the better, because it reveals his inadequacies, the fact that he doesn't read his presidential daily briefing, and he's actually – there are people secretly talking to the media unnamed saying that the president doesn't get it, doesn't get the scope of the coronavirus pandemic. Do you have any feelings about that? Do you concur that he doesn't get it or doesn't empathize with the scope of the pandemic? Well, he has no empathy at all. We've seen that through three and a half years. He doesn't know what empathy is. 
And I think that Mary Trump book points that out quite a bit, that he never has. It's never been part of the, quote, Trump family value system uh, and, and never kind of ingrained into them. So empathy, no, never had it, never will. Um, as far as it's all, this entire presidency has been about him. It's not been about the American people. And this pandemic is about the American people more than anything else that we do. This is about all of the people, right? I mean, he can be against transgender in the military. That's a certain segment. He can be for religious freedom. That's a certain segment. This pandemic is nationwide, affects every single person. So he doesn't know. He doesn't, he's not equipped to be able to handle that. He can't talk about that because he doesn't know what it means to reach out and be a president for the people. Uh, real quick, I yeah. want to highlight from Forbes. Um, so the Congress was about to go on recess as of end of business on Friday. The Democrats wanted to spend roughly $3 trillion on a rescue package known as the HEROES Act. Republicans supported their $1 trillion bill called the HEALS Act. Negotiations came to a literal grinding halt. And so the president announced a series of executive actions on Saturday. One of them was to extend the federal unemployment benefit down to $400 a week from what people are getting right now, 600 but also to pause the payroll tax until the end of the year, which means all of us earning a weekly or a biweekly check in theory, should see an income. Um, that almost sounds like buying the vote. I mean, and, and also the constitutionality and legality of these executive actions have been highly questioned over the last few days. Are you hearing a lot of buzz about whether this actually is going to stand up? This executive order could literally collapse under scrutiny. What are your thoughts, Veronica? Well, well from what I understand, the payroll tax part of it would be up to your employer on how they facilitate that. But, and it's all only temporary, all of it, and a majority of that has to go through Congress regardless. He doesn't have the, um, he doesn't have the presidential authority to do all of those things in the capacity that he says that he does. But um, I'm interested to see on what his, what his advisors are going to say, because I don't know who vetted all of those things that he talked about. Um, but I do know that even some Republicans were like, you you can't do everything that you just said that you were going to do. It just, it just can't happen. And, and of course he, he tried to diminish them as well. So I'm curious to see how valid any of that is that he said that he, he is going to do whether he can or cannot do any of it and what the uh, timeline looks like on those. Right. And we'll finish on this segment because we don't have too much more time left, but I, I want to give some facts on it. Cause these are things that I have kind of been in my craw the entire time. As far as the executive order go, payroll taxes, as Veronica said, this is, uh, up to the employer whether they want to participate in that. But if you want to look at it, payroll taxes are 12.4% of which your employer pays half and you pay half. So the only thing they'd be able to forgive is the, the employer has to decide if they want to forgive it and they would get 12.4% back. But it is not a – it's not going away. It's a deferment, which means – that once they decide to have you pay this back, you're going to pay this back all in one lump sum. So this 12% that you're getting in every check 
is all of a sudden magically going to come due uh, when this time runs out in December, right? So it's up to the employers to decide if they want to do it, and it's not – you will be making money temporarily, but it's, you will have to pay it back. This is not free money. This is not money to use. You're going to lose the money out. As far as the unemployment compensation, the extra $400 a week go, you only get that if the state decides to opt in 25% of it, give you $100 of it, and it has to be done through the states. Currently, the $600 a week was done through the federal government that sent all this out, right? This new plan for $400 is only good if the state decides to do it, that they have to create the system to dispense the money, and they have to pay $100 of it. So all that, there's so many rules that have to go into it that it's really kind of a whole backwards thing. And the states are broke from everything else happening in COVID. So that's unemployment compensation. As far as the extended eviction protections, it only works for the federally funded mortgages. So Section 8 people, um, if you're if you're in government housing, then you're guaranteed not to have evictions. Otherwise, it's just a recommendation for the different um, government agencies to put a stop to evictions. It doesn't stop any eviction unless the government votes it, to do it's that. It's all smoke and mirrors. It's all smoke it's and all mirrors. It is. The only thing that is an actual thing is the extension of student loans because 90% of those are done through the federal government, and they can extend the layoffs of those. So of the four things, only one has a little bit of teeth to it. So that's where it is. But, guys, we have to wrap it up. i got another show starting in about three minutes here. Veronica, thanks so much for calling in. Let everyone know where they can find your show. Um, They can find my show uh, through the GayBC News Radio and on all major podcast platforms. It's called The Read, A Queen Drags the News. You can find a link to that um, as well as a player on my website, which is vedrag.com, and I would love to hear from you guys. Amazing. Brandon, where can we all find you? Uh, um, I'm also on KBC News, and I launched my own show uh, today called Brandon Kermody Daily inside of KBC News, and my guests back-to-back were Mitch Hara and Jason Stewart, the co-stars of an Amazon series called Smothered, where they are a miserable couple, and they go to a different therapist in every episode. So I have I had a great A++ Knock It Out of the Park debut episode with my guest today. I'm excited. Fantastic. That's an excellent show. I had them on last week. They are amazing. All right, guys, we got to wrap it up. Left to Straight Show starts in about a minute here. Thanks for calling in, Brandon. We'll see you on Thursday. Guys, have a great Thank afternoon. You. Bye-bye. Bye.